Zara, I am so excited to talk about today's sponsor. It's the new film, Challenges. It's from the director of Call Me By Your Name, Luca Guadagnino, and stars and is produced by none other than our girl Zendaya. Yeah, you know I love her. You love her too. I love her so much. Zendaya plays Tashi Duncan, a former tennis prodigy turned coach who is married to a Grand Slam champion, currently on a losing streak. And if that's not bad enough, Tashi's strategy to help her husband break his curse sort of takes a surprising and awkward turn. Hmm, awkward indeed. Because now he must face off against his former best friend and Tashi's ex-boyfriend, Patrick. Zara, the tensions are running high. I know. Tashi's someone who makes no apologies for her game on and off the court. It's her game, her rules, but with her past and present colliding, Tashi must face reality and ask herself, what will it cost to win? Challenges is the sexy drama that everyone's talking about and it's definitely not one you want to miss. It's about passion, friendship and what happens when your past comes back to challenge you. You can grab a ticket from Tuesday the 26th. So grab your friends and get excited. I will be grabbing you and we are definitely going to be going to watch it. Oh, please. Thank you so much to Challenges for making this episode of Shameless possible. Recording. I'm sweating from all these technological issues. I'm about to throw this podcast in the bin. <laughs> what a great idea this was. What, to create your own podcast? Yeah. I'm mm. so happy we did this. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Shameless, the celebrity and pop culture podcast that is your weekly guilty pleasure. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalist Michelle Andrews, that is I, and Zara McDonald. Hello. Hello. Do you think it says something about you if you read your name out first? I heard that was an ego thing. I read that somewhere. Great, thanks. I just I just was wondering. <laughs> I usually I would love to go back and listen to your introductions and see if you introduced yourself. Probably first. because but I think it is a thing. You know how you meant to sign up sorry, I'm already I'm already going rogue. You know how you meant to sign off birthday cards and you meant to say like Name, 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 name. Oh, your name? I don't do that. I don't I, do that. I I've always done I it. I think that's an etiquette thing. I've always done it in order of age. So if it was from my family, oh. I'd go Vicky, Paul, Claire, Michelle, Evelyn, Tom. Big family. Just in, case, <laughs> just in case any of our listeners wanted to know the, ma- the names of everyone in your family. I'll have you know that on our Twitter account when I created it, I put your name first. See? And you did that deliberately. Yeah. Well, this is just a bloody intro. Can we stop analysing it, please? I just I just thought it was an interesting <laughs> aside. Anyway, <laughs> coming up on today's show. We're doing things a bit differently today, actually, Mish. We are keeping people on their toes. That's what we're good at. We are talking about reality stars and their villain status. But to do that, we're inviting former Bachelor star Jen Hawke on the show to explain everything we never knew about the editing process. Plus, a fashion blogger published the details to her pre-wedding prep. Is that a thing? That's a thing. We'll go with it. Anyway, we have a lot of thoughts and feelings about it. But first, how has your week been? My week has been so weird. You lived it with me, especially on Thursday. So Thursday night was the weirdest night of my life. Exaggeration, but we'll roll with it. So within 10 minutes... I received an Instagram DM from none other than Jake Ellis from The Bachelor in Paradise. Michelle Andrews has a Jake Ellis story. I have a Jake Ellis story. Um, Basically, I wrote 500 words on his bad boy nipples. I don't, I don't even I don't even want to go career into it. Career goals. Yeah, career goals. I wrote 500 words on his nipples. He really thought it was funny, sent me a DM about it, and then we had a little bit of a chat, and then I left because I have a boyfriend. And then five minutes later, 
a woman wrote on my writer page, which is kind of like a public Facebook page, yada, 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 because I'm in the media and I'm very important, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> she commented saying I had stolen her husband and then sent me a screenshot of his Facebook profile saying that he was dating a woman named Michelle Andrews. There were two parts to this story that I loved. A, because you did steal the husband. <laughs> no, I did And B, the fact that she was from somewhere so far away in America. She was from Washington. So, so far away in America. Yeah. Can we just add that you Sorry. then jumped on this woman's little comment and said, Michelle Andrews stole my husband too. It's irrelevant that I'm not married. <laughs> I'm so it's totally angry. irrelevant aside fact. <laughs> oh, it was bad. Anyway, your week. Tell me. Um, I, against all odds, predicted um, the name of Khloe Kardashian's baby. Oh my God, I can't believe you did this. By accident. Let me just um, play you something from last week, Michelle. <laughs> What do you think she's going to name her baby? Um, Hopefully she doesn't give him Thompson, give her baby Thompson as the last name. I am so stunned that that is, I mean, I know you didn't really pick it necessarily. No, but how is that? That's pretty um, crazy. I have to say, I didn't even realise I did it. We have one of our listeners. Listener Amy Clark. Thank you, Amy Clark said, hey Zara, did you know that you, um, accidentally predicted a Kardashian baby name. If I had to put money on that, I wouldn't be doing this podcast. I'd be in the Bahamas right now. Yeah, it's really good that she pointed it out. That was awesome. You should just go into like sports bet or whatever and try and claim your winnings. I should actually do that. Hey, so one of the big things that was across the news cycle this week were reality stars. Yeah, this was interesting. Obviously, you and I are massive Bachelor in Paradise fans. Uh, when we work with Mamma Mia, we have a Batch Chat podcast with them. So we are clearly Batch fanatics. I think that's fair. Yes. So on Bachelor, we saw a few villains emerge. I would say that Leah Costa, the one, the blonde one who is just constantly being negative and shady about everyone. Yeah. And then there was Simone who called somebody flabby. Yeah. And then I think more interestingly, which dominated the news cycle a little bit more, was the two uh, cooks on my kitchen rules. Yes. Sonia and Hadil. Yes, correct. And they were kicked out of the dinner party for some pretty cruel comments. Stay out of it. Don't let me come for you. Stay out of it. And I'll come for you and I'll come for you and I'll come for you because you're all disrespectful, assholes. And I think... What almost immediately happens after anything like this doesn't see you in a reality TV show, which is every season, um, they will almost always come out and say, we're sorry for our comments, but you guys don't understand how heavily this is edited. And you had pretty strong feelings to this. I did because Sonia and Hadil called other women blowfish, I think was the word. Another quote was, I know a doctor who can fix your ugly face. There was just a lot of commentary around other women's appearances. And I totally accept that Channel 7 probably did highly edit that episode. And it is unlikely that Sonia and Hadil were saying criticisms to two women who weren't giving anything back. The 100%. Way, you, yeah. don't, you don't just punch without anything coming back. Yeah. The way it was shown on television was that these two women were just dogged in their tenacity and their willingness to embarrass and humiliate and degrade uh, these other women, I think Jess and Emma. Jess and Emma. I don't watch the show, but I did watch this particular scene. For a long time, I've thought a producer can take your words out of context, but they can't put the words in your mouth. Um, and I've always thought that it's always a little bit rich for these reality stars to come out of these shows and say, wow, I'm so shocked at how this was edited. Because this is what you go in for. Like, this is what you hear goes on behind the scenes in every show in every year. 
And then I think in the last few months in particular, um, we have sort of in sort of the work in the industry that we do, we have access sometimes to reality TV shows before they're aired to the public. And I think what I have only realised recently is some of these shows, if you ever watch them without music, which we have done a couple of times. Yeah, we often see them without... We kind of see a first draft, it I is guess. A, it is basically just a cut of all of the footage and nothing else. No editing. It is bizarre. Mm. Um, if you ever get the chance to watch one, do it. But the reason that I'm saying that... Um, is because A, you realise that there is music under the entire episode and B, you can see very clearly how much audio is cut in that someone will be saying one word and then there'll just sort of be an awkward gap and then they'll say another word. And it did feel like to me in some of these episodes across any reality show that we've seen that they were these words weren't just taken out of context but they were chopped up entirely. Yeah, and... That is a really interesting experience. I guess not many people would see a reality TV show stripped of all that, uh, I don't know how, I guess the cherries on top and the actual... The shine. Yeah, the shine and the drama. And when you watch it without all that, just the raw footage, unedited, unfiltered, which it's crazy how much filtering they put on these reality shows. The colouring looks so different. Uh, That was, yeah, it is really interesting. Some of these, some of the shows don't nearly look as bright and colourful as they do on TV. Yeah, so for me, some of the words, I get a sense that they're cut. But I tell you what, Mish... I tell you who does know what they're talking about when it comes to reality shows. I'm so excited for Not this. Not us, really. Jen Hawke was a contestant on Maddie J's season of The Bachelor last year, and she was painted almost immediately as a villain. Yeah, she was. When you ask people who's the number one batch villain, Kira Maguire is up there, but Jen Hawke is right alongside her. So I'm so interested to hear what she has to say all, all about this. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi guys, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I think as particularly in the last week, we hear a lot about the power of the producer in reality TV. Contestants do know that they're, they're, they're at the mercy of, of editing when they're starring in these shows. Is it something that you considered before going on? When I uh, initially applied for the show, it wasn't actually something that did cross my mind uh, because typically in real life, I'm not actually that much uh, of a bitch for lack of a better word. Um, (laughs) But once you've kind of uh, delved into the whole reality TV world and you're living it, uh, you can kind of see that you are up to not only the producers but also post-production as well so it it is a little bit daunting it is something you think about but I don't think you actually realize until you're really kind of amongst it so let's say you're in the show and you say something maybe you're a bit drunk do you say something and then think oh I know how they're going to use that or is it not till much later Um, I don't think at the time you're aware of how they can use it so I mean I would say things when I was drunk um even sober sometimes and (laughs) you never actually realize how they're going to fit it into a storyline or how they can make a storyline of it i mean a lot of the things i tend to say are are tongue-in-cheek and a little bit humorous highly sarcastic and it's very very easy for them to edit that and make it just look completely savage and completely ruthless so when you think you're giving them a good bit they'll edit it tweak it a little and make it even better. So when you were watching that very first episode, and I can't quite remember whether it was the first episode that they painted you as the villain or if it was a little bit later on, how did you feel and how did your family and friends react to see you portrayed in such a specific calculated way? 
Um, I think that was a little bit shocking. I, I do think they started to kind of shape it that first episode that I would be the villain. Um, and it was with just little things. So instead of showing Leah running her mouth, um, you know, walking around being, I'm not intimidated by anybody and running a mouth with things like that. They just showed me turning around and being like, do I intimidate you? Well, I should. And mm. it was just things like that. So that's something I said to kind of pull someone up when she was being a little bit out there. But rather than showing the full context of it, they just showed me saying that and I was like a complete bitch. So um, it, it was a little bit daunting. And as soon as I saw that first episode, it really did hit me then. Holy crap, what have I done? Oh, did it and affect your life? Did you then go on from that first episode and did people's perceptions of you, even who you kind of know, like acquaintances, did that change? I'm really, really lucky. I'm surrounded by friends and family that are all highly intelligent and know how these things work. I don't surround myself with, you know, people that actually buy this crap. So um, no one that knew me actually believed what they were seeing. And a lot of them could see this sense of humour that would have been attached to the comments. And people that know me know me quite well. So, yeah, they kind of looked at me like, no, no, I know how you would have said that. Yeah, and I think that's what we hear a lot from, um, especially this week, I think My Kitchen Rules has been in the news a lot. And the contestants that were kicked off My Kitchen Rules for being, you know, the villains said that you guys don't know how much power the producers have. But I guess I always wonder, is it just that your words are taken out of context or are your words chopped and changed so much that they suddenly take on a new meaning? I've actually, um, I've recently come out saying that not only do you... Uh, get asked a question in a particular way but they'll actually ask you it in several ways so they get an answer reworded um mm. and they can actually take bits and pieces then and and basically chop and change it in post-production and what we've said isn't in context or it might not even be about the person that you know is currently being shown on tv so it, it is a little bit confusing i've had to explain myself to some of my closer friends in the house and be like look what was said there wasn't actually about you oh my god yeah, yeah. that would be so <laughs> tricky well how do you feel about reality tv now obviously some of the people that you were with on maddie j's season and now on bachelor in paradise do you still watch the show or how do you feel about reality tv in general I definitely still watch the show. I think it's absolutely hilarious. Um, <laughs> I'm a little bit shocked that some of these people put themselves back in that situation. I mean, Leah, I think she did set herself up for, you know, more public scrutiny. Um, I think people like Alora, who got quite a good edit on Maddie J's season, really have risked their public persona because I think you are seeing parts of them that aren't really quite that likable in Bachelor in Paradise because the thing is, is, the producer's main aim is to put a good show on. It's not to take care of you and your public reputation. So they will make you look bad if it's going to benefit the show. And I think that's what a lot of these people don't realise. Well, did you expect to be on the receiving end of so much criticism? I mean, I think uh, Sonia and Hadil from My Kitchen Rules came out and were surprised that the public wasn't smarter about what was happening. Did it shock you as to how many people got so offended and took it so seriously that they would go and troll your social media pages? It horrifies me that Australia and well, I'm not, I don't want to say the entire general public, but a large proportion of the general public don't get that this isn't real. What they're seeing is so edited and they're like, oh, no, but no one made you say those words. But 
I might not have said those words in that order. I might not have said those words in those in that particular context. And you haven't seen the full story that goes behind it. So, I mean, I really feel for anyone that is painted in that villainous role. Um, because I, I think, you know, you tend to meet people in real life and they're completely opposite of what you've seen on TV. So I think everyone in Australia kind of just needs to put their thinking caps on. And, I mean, it's great to be invested in a show, but we're talking about real people's lives when you attack them on social media. I mean, I ended up at home for about a month just completely depressed and not mm. knowing what to do with myself because of the public backlash. And, you know, I put my big girl pants on and thought, I don't really give a stuff because the people that matter are the people that know who I am and they don't buy this shit. Yeah, of course. And I think you're very lucky to to be able to have that around you. But what I think and what you see in these shows is I imagine that you would have pretty close ties or ties anyway to producers because they're around all the time. Does it change the the nature of your relationship with producers once it airs or what is your relationship like with producers anyway? From my particular season, I was close with two producers throughout my entire time um, in the house and they are the two producers that I'm still in touch with now. I still think they're amazing women. Um, But they're also two producers that... I used to sit in a lot of my interviews with and we used to have a giggle and they could see the sarcastic side to everything that I said. But at the same point, then they're not the ones in post-production that chop and change it and decide to create a character. I know they're producing good content, but I don't sit there and hold anything against them in particular. So, yeah, I mean, there's two producers that I absolutely adore. The rest of them, you know, I, I'm not in contact with, but it just is what it is. I think we all kind of move on. Well, I feel like um, anyway... Australia also, if they have one thing, it's also a bit of a short memory too. So if you are hated at one point, you sort of love the next. Do you feel like that anyway, that the public are coming around? It's it's a really, really strange one. I mean, I've obviously started doing my Will You Accept This Roast segment. Oh, my God, my um, favourite thing in the world. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's kind of the feedback I'm getting. I I have so many people who are turning around and – and just basically being like, you know what, this is the best part of the entire show. I only watch the show so I understand what's happening with your roast <laughs> and I understand the context of your roast. So I think people are starting to get now that whilst a lot of my bitchier comments during my season were just absolutely savage because they'd been made to look that way, when they see it in the context of who I am and what you're getting in those roasts is actually who I am. I am a little bit savage, but the intent is to be funny it's all supposed to be humorous there's no malice there so I think people are starting to see me and I think people are are, are kind of engaging with that and liking it which is nice I think even the same thing for Kira Maguire I mean at one point in time Kira Maguire was reviled and now she is loved for being so honest and being very candid with her thoughts so it's really interesting to see how that full circle has happened with Kira as well yeah, well, the thing is, is, obviously, Kira and I have no love lost between us, but <laughs> I've even been watching her and I'm like, you know what? I really like who she is as a person. She might have been portrayed to be a bitch and we might have butted heads, but I can respect her for what she is. She is no bullshit. She is straight to the point. And as a woman who is definitely all about that, I, I love seeing that and I love any woman that is empowered enough to be that way. Jen, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Your insight is so interesting and I think insight we need to definitely hear more of. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. It was great. And now, Michelle, it's time for the quick and dirty. Yay. Oh, 
<laughs> Mrs. Enthusiasm over here. I am. I've had a coffee. I'm all good. Okay. Um, well, as always, we're going to present you, well, I say we, but it's Michelle this week. Five stories, five headlines from the rough and tumble of the new cycle. Michelle Andrews, are you ready? I am so ready. Born ready. Okay. First story on my list this week is from Vanity Fair. Kanye West is writing a self-help book on Twitter. This is brilliant. This is very Kanye. It is so Kanye and I'm not even a Kanye fan and I feel like I have the authority to say that this is so Kanye <laughs> this was my I went back through his Twitter feed last night and we're just looking at all of the inspirational quotes that he's basically quoting that's basically all he's doing right just, yeah yeah a whole lot a, of uh what are they called affirmations yeah he's had a huge a long hiatus from Twitter and he's just come back and it's just sprouting self-help nonsense this is really good. I love that he's kind of like, I'm going to have a book. Don't know when it's going to be out. Don't know who it's going to be published by. It's just a very vague idea. But if you're idea. Kanye West, it kind of can be because you just wait for the publisher to come to you. <laughs> How's this tweet? You have the best ideas. Other people's opinions are usually more distractive than informative. <laughs> Not sure about that. Follow your own vision. Don't always do that. Base your actions on love. Do things you love. And if you don't absolutely love something, stop doing it as soon as you can. What a life of luxury. I tell you what, can you imagine so many people being like, well, I don't absolutely love my work, so I'm going to go and quit. Don't love doing the laundry. Probably won't do it. <laughs> oh. What a life of luxury. All right. Number two, courtside date night. Oh, we're going to have two Kardashian stories in a row. Apologies. Courtside date night. Kylie Jenner and Travis Scott enjoy time together without daughter Stormy. They're at a basketball game. Mm, fascinating. I think only interesting in a sense that basketball games are like the best opportunity to be seen and to be shot, like to be pap shot. Mm -hmm. You know how so many celebrities are papped at the front row of a basketball game. Beyonce it's, and Jay-Z. It's such a public way to show that you're together. Rihanna and Chris Brown did it, I think, yeah. when they were back together. Yeah, yeah, it's such a public way to come back and say, hey, we're out on back together everything's all g we're so casual and chill and you don't have to talk like you don't have to watch them they can just sit there and watch the game yeah i don't know if they're together but i like their uh their i attempts. think they're together i don't think if you were exes you could be bothered sitting next to each other for that long do you have a kid yeah maybe kid. Mm. no i know i know I, no i know they have a kid <laughs> like, i was just like yes yeah, sorry I have a kid. <laughs> no i know they have a kid i'm just saying Maybe They're together. Reason. Stop overthinking it. Next. Story three. This is a sad one. Swedish-born producer and DJ Avicii found dead in the Middle East. That's from Nine News. This was a sad story, this wasn't it? This is devastating. I don't know why I feel so distraught about this. Uh, I guess it's because Avicii is 28 years old. He is one of the major house DJs and musicians of our time, I guess, a lot of millennials will feel the same way we're feeling. I know my sister and my cousin were huge fans of Avicii. Um, really horrible. Yeah, and they're pretty, I think, uh, understandably cagey on the details on this one. Mm. Um, he was in Omen, is that right? In the Middle East? Um, yeah, Omen. Um, Oman? Omen. Yeah. We do this every episode. <laughs> Cultured. <laughs> <laughs> he was in the Middle East anyway. Um, and... His publicist and his family do seem quite shattered by this news. And like you said, a lot of music fans or basically anyone that listens to the radio because I'm not a music fan, but his music has played pretty consistently in the, on the radio. So it is just really sad. 28 is very young. Yeah, it is. And he's had health problems and alcoholism problems. So I guess we'll wait and see what comes out from a coroner or what comes out from a family report or anything like that. But if it's anything, devastating. It's really sad. Yeah, regardless what happened there. It yeah, is. exactly. 28 is way too young. On to headline four, half-brother slams Meghan Markle as a phony. That's from page six. You got some deja vu. Oh, God. Can ex... 
or like estranged family members of Meghan Markle, just shut the hell up. Just go away. Your moment is over. You aren't invited to the wedding. No one cares. But the funny thing is, and I think this was actually an interview with The Mirror um, that Page Six sort of rode around, but I think it's Thomas Markle, his name. I could have just, you know, pulled that from thin air, but let's go with Tom. And um, he said to The Mirror, I haven't been invited to the wedding yet. And I thought, babes. Mm-mm. It's not going to happen. And if it hasn't happened, going to the mirror is certainly <laughs> not going to get you an invite. Christ. I feel really sorry for her. Her half Do family. You devil's advocate very quickly. Oh, God. Here we go. What do you? What is about to come out of your mouth? Smoke and fire? No, I don't, I don't care. I think. You don't think. I mean, like, how many people would have that many siblings willing to come out on the record against them? I'm sure if I one day became famous. I have some people out there who would say some not very nice things about me, I'm sure. So I don't want to take the stance that there must be something phony about Meghan Markle. I'm not. I'm just saying interesting. Mm. All right. Okay. My last headline. This is on a more sugary note for us, I guess, because I really want to talk about this. The Bachelor's Alex Nation looks downcast and wipes away tears as she loads boxes into her new house after split from fiance Megan Luxer from the Daily Mail. Please debrief on this with me. This is an outstanding piece of journalism, I must note. <laughs> um, there are some paparazzi shots of Alex Nation picking up boxes and leaving um, her house. And if you were ever a paparazzi cynic, this will just about do it. It has. She is carrying. <laughs> oh my God. She is carrying a box of clothes, and very clearly facing the pap is a, a sort of label that says Alex's clothes. It's like. Alex, Dahl, there are better ways to make it look like you didn't pick up the phone and call that paparazzi. It's okay. So to give context, this was the third story in the Daily Mail about Megan and Alex in three days. So on Wednesday, there came reports from sources close to the couple that they were splitting. On Thursday, there were photos of Megan and Alex looking tense and like they were having a somber discussion at a cafe, which were incredibly close up, incredibly clear. And it was almost like there was a video on Daily Mail's website, which, yes, I'm ashamed to say, I watched. I love those videos. (laughs) So good. (laughs) They both looked so morose and sad. And it looked like it was very performative. Just going to say that. It absolutely did. This is almost on par. And I say almost because nothing will beat it. Um, to Blake and Louise's breakup photo shoot. Look, we're making some big claims. But all I'm going to say is... When you, Alex Nation has a funny way of breaking up with partners and it is not coming out and saying publicly we aren't together, but instead it's leaking the news to the press because I think if anyone can recall when she and Richie Strawn broke up, there was never actually, and I think still to this day or only in the last few months, has there been formal confirmation that they're not together. Richie gave an interview to, uh, I think it was the West Australian in December. But prior to that, it was just a whole heap of um, sources leaking to papers. Yeah. saying they weren't together, which is a really anticlimactic way for us to learn of yeah. the news of a breakup. Not that we matter. I just think it's unusual to have these crystal clear, close-up, odd paparazzo shots two days in a row. Obviously, then on the Fridays, we've done Wednesday, done Thursday, Friday. Then she's walking down the street holding a box saying Alex's clothes. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to take delight. <laughs> Obviously, it's horrible that they've split up and any type of relationship breakdown is traumatic. You- what, a paparazzo was just on that Melbourne Peninsula street just waiting for Alex to walk out. Like it's just, and as as we learned after speaking to Georgia Love, there aren't many paparazzos in Melbourne. So it's not like they're no. just wandering around the peninsula. With- no, 
and she's I, from. And I think we need, yeah, and that is also true. She's not from the CBD. She's hanging down the peninsula. Um, and I have to say, you keep bagging me for going on random tangents with the quick and dirty. Oh, and this one's just, fine. <laughs> Go for it. No, you've been going on the tangent. <laughs> um, but there, that is not to say that every paparazzi photo is staged. In fact, far from it. We should be careful in saying that. But I think if you look very careful at paparazzi photos, you can get a pretty good read on which ones you think. I think when they're a little bit blurry and far away and it doesn't look like the the subjects in question realise they're there. For example, paparazzo photos of Karl Stefanovic. I don't think I've ever seen a stage one of Karl. Oh, Karl God, always looks no. like he has no idea anyone is watching him. Or that he's hating his life because he can see it. Yeah. So there's like photos of Carl eating Red Brewster at the airport. And there was a great one of Carl and Jasmine with um, McDonald's once. And I'm like, if I wanted to be caught having um, been papped, the last thing I want in my head is a McDonald's life yeah. coke. Yeah. So I think we're not saying everyone does it, but I would raise an eyebrow at every time Alex Nation appears in the Daily Mail with a pap shot. That is all for the quick and dirty. I'm done. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, what was the process? I don't know. I just woke up and tried on the dress and it fit, thank God. And, and then um, I took a shower and <laughs> I don't know what I was, that's what I did. And then I got my hair and makeup done. And then I came to the Oscars. <laughs> I'm sorry, I did a shot before I... <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> Nicole Warren, otherwise known as Gary Peppergirl, this week had her wedding black book published on the beauty website Into the Gloss. It was um, extravagant. In order to prepare for her wedding, Warren said she had three facials weekly, lived on a diet of plant-based protein, vegetables, some complex carbs, fruit and natural fats, and even had a naturopath make her Chinese herbal tonics to keep her skin glow. Michelle, when you saw this article, you posted it in our shameless celebrity gossip Facebook group immediately. You said, and I quote, and you're going to hate me for this, <laughs> at the risk of sounding mean, this level of self-indulgence is just fucking ridiculous. Haha. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you stand by that after having a few days to sit on it? Yes. I do. I have to say, this this sort of um, created quite a debate in that Facebook group. Oh, my God. I love our Facebook group so much. If you guys are not in it, please get in it because there are some seriously good discussions going on. I did not expect when I posted this and was like, lol, so fucking ridiculous. What the hell? I expected everyone to be like, totally, amen. Same, because we we were like on the same same sort of... Wavelengths, yeah. So that's not what happened. Multiple people informed me that I am, in fact, being a judgmental bitch and need to calm down in politer terms. <laughs> However, I would like to note before I say anything else on this subject, I'm going to give context on Nicole Warren. She is a super, super, super successful self made woman. Not only did she create a successful online vintage store when she was like 20, she went on to cement herself as one of the leading voices in fashion not only in Australia but around the world she's been on the cover of Elle on the cover of Harper's Bazaar she's worked with Chanel she's worked with Valentino she is a huge person in fashion media and she is entirely self-made she was adopted at the age of three months old out of South Korea and I want to really make sure everyone understands Nicole Vaughan has earned her money works very hard and is a very successful woman here comes the but. I think this is so ridiculous that someone would go to that extent. As you said, 
in the month leading up to her wedding, three facials every week, a private Pilates instructor twice a week and a personal PT. I think it was like three times a week or something. On top of that, I need to explain, this is not just... Not just the prep, it goes beyond that, which was $10,000, by the way. Someone added up the cost of all her prep. It was at least $10,000. She also had about five custom-made wedding dresses. Mm. Five. Yes, this one as well. Like five couture dresses. Yeah, uh, I wrote down the designers. Uh, there was like Dion Lee, Tony Matuszewski. Um, Michael Lasordo. Yep. There was, uh, there was an Oscar Val- de Laurento. And then the Valentino dress. I can't. I'm sorry. And I don't know what it is about me that feels so judgmental, but I'm judging because I think this is such a reckless waste of money and it's so luxurious and it's so extravagant that I don't understand. This is what's really funny is because we were posting a lot in the Facebook group and before I had any comment, and actually it wasn't just me, it was everyone. Before we had any comment, everyone was like, not sure why I feel this way, but I do. So may I just bring some other perspectives in here? Because we have very similar perspectives. We had um, one of our former colleagues, actually, Amy Cooper, say, I'd much rather have someone be upfront about what they did than the bullshit, I woke up like this trope. If you can afford it, why the hell not? Then there was also Katie Hall. And she, Katie Hall said, I think it also comes down to what you get from it. I could never afford to do all of these things, but if I could, I would because skincare stuff makes me so, so, so happy and that happiness then carries over into my other into other areas of my life. Now, I have had probably 48 hours to sit on this and I've kept thinking because there's something about um, extravagance and excess that rubs me up the wrong day, the wrong day, <laughs> the wrong way. And I've had a little while to sort of make sense of it. And I said to you, maybe a couple of hours after we had the initial discussion, I actually think this conversation is rooted in the very core of our values. And I know this sounds very wanky, but one of like the core things in a human that I cannot stand, that I cannot stand more than anything is a sense of arrogance. And I'm, and I think that was because that was just how I was raised. Like we, that humility was pumped into me from the age of about one day old. From um, what you've told me as well, your siblings come down quite hard on any display of arrogance or um, pride. Your family seems to kind of yeah, squash okay, that immediately. Really I was talking to my brother. This is a bit of an aside, but I think this is super relevant um, because I think it all is rooted in how you're raised and things like this. Is that I remembered as we were, as I've been thinking about this so much, I must admit. And I remember that my mom used to have a poem printed in every single one of our rooms. And we're not particularly academic family, but we had this poem and I had it above my bed. And there was only two lines in this poem. It's called The Desiderata and it's by Max Ehrman. And it's actually beautiful. I think I'm going to put it back as my, like, in my room. And there's two lines that I remember off by heart. And this has been in my room since the age of about six years old. The first one is, go placidly admit the noise and haste and remember what peace there may be in silence. And then the next one is, keep interested in your own career. However humble, it is a real possession in the changing fortunes of time. Now, those are the two lines that I remember off by heart from that poem and both come down to A, going quietly and B, being humble. And so when I see someone like Nicole Warren having her wedding and spending her money however she wants to spend it and she does have the right to do that, I feel almost automatically uncomfortable because I think there is something that goes hand in hand with extravagance and excess and arrogance. Is that too harsh? No, I don't because I think uh, we're slightly different. I think we have very, very similar values, but I think mine have a tweak on yours. No, they do. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. It's not arrogance for me. It's excess. Yes. And it's taking pride in wealth that I really struggle with. I grew up in a family that didn't struggle, but money was definitely something that was always uh, 
vocalized in our family. I guess it was very well known when we could or could not afford something. And we were very middle class. I went to a Catholic or girls school, but it wasn't one that was extremely expensive. I come from a family of four children like you do. Um, but I, I'm not sure what it is that my parents really instilled in me a knowledge that money is uh, not abundant and that money needs to be saved and you need to be really careful with how you spend it and things can go wrong. And at times in my childhood, I guess they did where we didn't have as much money as we would have liked. So when I see someone like Nicole Warren investing in things like Katie Hall was saying, investing in her skincare, which might make her happy to find out that someone is buying three $400 facials every single week makes me feel very upset and I don't know why it makes me feel very frustrated but I think you've just explained why and I don't think you actually and I don't think any of us need to go further than explaining that that it's really hard to hear something that goes so so against everything you've ever been taught about how to act and how to be like I don't think you need to go much further than that and I well I guess for me it's really interesting because I was talking about uh wedding culture with my sister recently my sister Claire is 27 and I guess she's kind of getting to that age where naturally she's thinking about weddings she's been with her partner for a while and we were talking about wedding culture and how it's expected that women go to the nth degree with their wedding preparation and we both really struggle with that I have never been the type of woman who has grown up dreaming about my wedding day I never ever have and I think it's because I have a mother who has always been quite feminist not vocally but just in her actions and I haven't grown up thinking about weddings and babies although I will one day get married and I do definitely plan on having children I have grown up thinking about my career so every day in the future I'm thinking about what I'm going to be doing and I'm thinking about where my career is going to be in 10 years I'm not thinking but I don't think I have to be honest I'm sorry for cutting you off there I don't think that 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 thought in itself is probably why you're going to be riled up about this like I think you can look at someone and say you've grown up wanting to have kids you've grown up wanting to be married you've grown up looking at your career but I don't think it actually elicits the same response as someone who goes so above and beyond about their wedding. And I actually think it comes down to priorities, these particular priorities and being able to have the ability to throw so much money at something mm. we just don't understand. Like I just don't. And then I think the second part of that is, do I actually have the right, and I know the answer is no, to judge someone for making a wedding so extravagant that they almost and I would I'm saying almost because I would hate to project here because I imagine she hasn't forgotten the fundamentals of why she's there but it looks like she has that that the wedding is is about sort of the shine and the the glory of the occasion rather than the fact that you're actually there because you're marrying the person you love yeah well weddings have just never been something I've thought about it's never been a priority for me I've never imagined what kind of dress I'm gonna have or what kind of wedding I'm gonna have so wedding culture really does uh rile me up but what I was gonna say about my discussion with Claire uh this week honestly this past week has been about the fact that when we get engaged one day I would really like to encourage whoever proposes to me which fingers crossed is Mitch the person I'm with now that they would actually propose with not a super expensive diamond ring unless we were flowing like cash was just flowing into our lives and we were very very wealthy and very privileged I do not want whoever I'm with to spend thousands of dollars on a ring for me I don't understand diamond ring culture and Claire and I are total fans of the idea of getting another stone or getting a cubic zirconia ring which might only be worth 500 to 900 dollars 
and that we don't carry around this ring worth a car on our hand because it's not a priority to me. A priority to me, I don't see myself as very materialistic. I don't own anything from a designer brand, although I probably, if I want to save, I could afford it. Well, I think the reason that this story has so many people interested and why when it was published on Into the Gloss, it was picked up by every Australian news outlet is because it's where wedding culture and skincare culture overlap. And I think we've had so many conversations, particularly in the last six months, about skincare culture and why skincare has suddenly boomed. And so many people have said it's Trump. I'm not sure about that. I I don't even want to get into that. But I do think it's worth talking about the idea that people are saying she can spend whatever she wants on her skin. Um, and well, $1,200 a week. By the way, I just want to take it back. Her, her wedding prep was a full-time job. Like people don't have time for this. She does so she can. But the fact that people like Katie who said, skincare makes me feel really good. And I remember replying to her straight away in the Facebook group and I said, just because something makes us feel good doesn't necessarily mean it's really good for us. And it comes down to me to this big self-care paradox where we're told if we're having a really shit day, we should go home and put on a face mask. Mm. But that face mask is making our skin nicer and making us more beautiful and presentable to the world. So it's like, how is that self-care when I'm actually just going home and making myself conform more to the world and be more of the person the world expects me to be? And But in turn, we've sort of framed it in such a way that we're looking after ourselves rather than doing something that could at the end of the day be a little bit damaging to our psyche. Does that make sense? No, it absolutely does. And this is all coming from me being someone who is very interested in beauty and very interested in skincare. And I mean, we've known each other for so long that I'm constantly telling you about different skincare products I like. And I really love, for example, Zoe Foster Blake's skincare line. I'm always talking about those transformazing masks that she bought out recently, those sheet masks. So I absolutely understand where people like Katie and where people like Nicole Warren are coming from in really enjoying these facials. But I also think part of this perhaps riles me up because I think to get four, three facials a week for a month really shows that you have an interest in yourself to a poor level. You are so inherently invested in the size of your pores and you are so focused on your face and how you look and the shine of your skin and the texture of your skin that it makes me feel like you are so self-interested. No, and I think we should be careful because I actually don't think it says as much about Nicole Warren as it does say about how we're told to live our lives. And there was this really great piece that I read in the Huffington Post. Um, It's actually from 2014. And it's this idea that many of the beauty and the skincare procedures that we are told are super normal now didn't exist 100 years ago. Like none of them existed. And I think we should always, we should be reminded of that more than we are. And in this piece, it was by Amanda Scherker. And she said, it's sort of the same idea as the diamond idea, which again, it's, this is where skincare and weddings collide in that diamonds are only really valuable because of a really successful marketing and advertising campaign in the 19, in the 20th century. Sorry. So Amanda Scherker pointed to this Clorols ad that launched a million home hair dye jobs in the 1950s. So in the 1950s, hair, hair care and hair dye wasn't a thing. In fact, the percentage of women dyeing their hair skyrocketed in 1950 from 7% to more than 40% in the 70s. And so it's like, I know that's hair and I know we're talking about skin, but they all go hand in hand. And I think 
we talk about skincare in an entirely different way than what we talk about beauty because we say beauty is covering ourselves up and although we love it, it's not a great thing that women get up every morning and put makeup on and men don't. When essentially skincare is exactly the same thing if men aren't doing it. Yeah, well, I would like to know the last time either of our boyfriends put anything on their face. I don't think my boyfriend owns a single skincare product. I would own over 20. Not that I use them all, but I would own over 20 things. Oils, serums, moisturizers. I exfoliated my younger brother's face not long ago (laughs) because we thought it was a funny thing to do. It was kind of a bit gross, but it was hilarious at the time. But it was just that, a joke. Um, And I read another good piece that I would recommend any of you reading it. I'm not sure if you have read this one, Mish. Um, it's by one of my favorite writers, Gia Tolentino, who came from Jezebel, is now at The New Yorker. She wrote about skincare at the end of last year and she spoke about this idea um, of a, a certain popular beauty look that we tend to celebrate now, which is the Instagram model. And she writes, the look evokes both nakedness and airbrushing and is made possible by technology. A lot of the work formerly performed by makeup has been redirected into products and procedures, eyelash extensions, microcurrent facials, injections of all kinds, leading to and prompted by an aesthetic of militant naturalness surrounded by an unambiguous aura of money and work. It's a regime posing as a regimen. Now, I know that's a bit wordy, but that last sentence is the I best sentence. In, my um, older brother actually sent me this article during the really? week. Really? Yeah. And he said that last sentence is so good because it's not something that he would ever think about, but it absolutely is a regime framed as a yeah. As a regimen. And I want to be crystal clear with my point that I'm not, I don't see Nicole Warren as any worse than any other woman I know. And so many of my friends invest in themselves in similar ways. I've got friends who get facials so regularly. I've got friends who have eyelash extensions and get them regularly touched up. And I love that they do that for themselves. I just don't see myself doing it. And I think it does come back to that money aspect for me that as soon as I look at something, like as soon as I hear lip injections, I think, well, that's $600. That $600 I could put towards a plane ticket to somewhere or I I guess my priority does not lie in how I look very much at all. As the older I get, I think I even move away from prioritizing how I look uh, compared to what I did as an 18 year old. And I do want to bring this back to the wedding industry in particular just a little bit because I think it's really interesting how so many women in today's culture and society think that a wedding should be the be all and end all of your 20s or early 30s and I found this really interesting that we all think weddings are so expensive so the average woman will come out and be like well the average wedding costs $60,000 and that's not actually true that's something that the bridal and wedding industry is trying to tell us they're trying to normalize these extremely extravagant expensive weddings so in 2015 bride to be magazine came out and said the average wedding costs $65,000 Everyone ran this as a story. Everyone went, oh my God, weddings are so expensive these days. But at the same time, it reinforced this idea that expensive weddings are normal weddings. And spending $65,000 is nothing to blink at. That's the norm. Until a journalist actually investigated that, went through ASIC, went through all different legitimate sources about weddings and found out the actual cost is closer to 20,000. So the average woman is not spending 65,000, she's spending 20. And I find that fascinating that so many women are out there thinking this is supposed to be a super expensive, super luxurious affair when really the average woman's spending $20,000 and that's a lot in itself. It's a huge amount and I think What we need to come back to in this entire discussion, whether it be about skincare or beauty or about weddings, is that 
This is not a personal attack on anyone who chooses to do this, but we should be able to look at an article like the one on Into the Gloss and say, that's a huge amount of excess, that's a huge amount of extravagance, and while it may not say as much about Nicole Warren the person, it certainly says something about an industry, and it certainly says something about the women we are meant to be who spend all our money, and how that we are just the product of really smart advertising and marketing campaigns. Yeah, and I think advertising and marketing has just seen the bridal industry skyrocket it's insane. It's insane. It'll be really interesting to see what we get to. I mean, we're 24 and 23 now. When we get to 28, 29 and we're thinking about marriage, it'll be very interesting to see how we feel. Thank you so much for joining us for episode seven. Please subscribe to the show in your podcast feed. We say this every week, but we are an independent podcast. This is Zara and my little tiny baby and the more love you give our show the more other people can find it and it really helps us out and means that we can keep creating Shameless. We'd like it to grow from a baby to a toddler please. Yeah grow our little baby to a child. <laughs> Don't forget as always you can take part in the conversation. Join our Facebook group. I promise you we talk about interesting things. Most of the time I say things and I realise I'm wrong um, and I disagree with my own opinion but please come and join us. We are search for same... <laughs> every week what you're trying to say is search for shameless celebrity gossip on facebook come join the chat there is such good conversations going on in that group thank That's you to everyone said. everyone who posts there i oh. bloody love like i love the women who just share their opinions and we all disagree but it's great and it's so much fun to just have a bit of a gossip about things going on in celeb land um, you can almost <laughs> Oh my god. I actually Zara. It's like you get drunk towards the end of every episode. You can uh, also email us your thoughts. Our email is shamelessthepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Twitter. We're on Instagram. We're bloody everywhere. Zara is scattered all over the place. Thank you for carrying my illiterate ass. <laughs> Look, I'm just going to get out of here before I say something else. It's stupid. <laughs> yeah. I think that's wise. Thanks, guys. Bye. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.